You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. Go ahead and tell someone the title of my sermon this morning, Rejoice Like Christ. Rejoice Like Christ. First and foremost, I just wanted to thank uh, Elder Joel for covering the pulpit last week. My family and I were very sick, uh, and, and we're very thankful that uh, he could step up to the plate at a very short notice and, and, uh, and speak for us, a great, word, um, a great word that he spoke last week. This morning, we are returning back to our vision casting series that we started two weeks ago, talking about how we can be more like Christ. A, a big theme that we're looking at throughout, our, our, throughout this year as a church is what it means to, to be disciple makers, to make disciples and to be a disciple of Christ. As we mentioned two weeks ago, a disciple in ancient times was really sort of a carbon copy of a specific rabbi. Everything that the rabbi was, everything that the rabbi believed was meant to be passed on to a disciple. And similarly, all of us who, uh, who, who identify as a believer in Christ are disciples of Christ. We are to be more and more like Christ. That is the end goal of a believer's journey, a believer's uh, spiritual journey here in this life and even in the next, to be more like Christ. And so the series that we're starting the year off is meant to see how we can be more like Christ even in our mission as a church to reach, revolve, reflect. Last two weeks ago, we looked at our mission statement to cultivate lives that revolve around Christ and how that looks like. We looked at the motivations and, and, and Christ's purpose as he was here in his earthly ministry. We saw how he trusted in the Father's sovereignty. He acted in humility. And even he even demonstrated a passion, a, 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 a jealous passion for the things of God when he was tempted by the enemy to worship anything other than God. And so this week we'll be looking at our, our mission statement to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. To, to, and at the same time, as we look at that, at that mission statement to see how we can be more like Christ, to have the heart and mind of Christ as we fulfill that mission. My hope for us this morning as we unpack our passage is to learn from Christ's example to have a similar heart towards the lost as we see in our passage this morning uh, to help us to be motivated to go out and reach the lost. Now, we're going to get straight into our passage. Some, some context for us as we dive into the text Jesus tells three parables in Luke chapter 15, all connected together, declaring the same thing, and that is the heart of God towards sinners, and particularly those who repent. Now, something very important to note that this, these parables are not a blueprint to evangelism. These parables are not a blueprint to evangelism. These parables, again, demonstrate the work of God, uh, the work of God to save those who, who are lost, to save those who, who repent. Now, I say that because some ministries take these parables to mean that, you know, just like how, how the, the shepherd here in, in the passage leaves the 99 sheep to go after that one lost uh, sheep, we need to do the same. Or they say, just as, uh, just as this, uh, this, this, this lady who lost the coin, 
leaves everything or goes out with all expenses to find this one coin and then celebrates after that we need to do the same. The, there are churches out there that, 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 that believe that in order to reach the lost, it'll be at the expense of those who are already believers. And that is not what this, these parables are speaking about. These parables are intentionally told in a way that sounds exaggerated, almost ridiculous, in order to communicate, to demonstrate the extent and the degree in which God himself works to save the lost, not any human effort. Again, the purpose of these parables is to, re- to, to, to magnify the work of God in salvation. Because in reality, when you read these parables, really, no shepherd... No right-thinking shepherd would leave 99 sheep in the wilderness, in the wild, to be, to be, to be subject to wolves and, and, and the, the wilderness just to find one sheep. No, no woman would throw a party just for finding a silver coin. And even in the context of the prodigal son in ancient, in, in ancient Judaism, in that society, no Jewish father would ever receive a son after a son uh, took his inheritance, squandered their wealth, and, and decided to come back home. That was outrageous in Jesus' day. The moral of the parables, again, the reason why it's told in these exaggerated and these almost ridiculous circumstances is to communicate that it is only God who does this. Only God can do this. Only God can do the work of salvation. It is to communicate his heart towards sinners. Now, in addition to that, it's also a lesson that Jesus is trying to teach the Pharisees and anyone, really, even us today, those who are reading it this morning. It's, 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 a, it's parables to teach us listeners where our hearts ought to be as well. Because if you look at our passages, let's look at our, our, our passage here, verse 1. Look at the context of this. Verse 1, it says, Now the tax, collect, tax collectors and sinners were all drawn near to, to hear him, talking about Jesus here. It's interesting that they, he, they make a distinction between tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors were Jewish citizens who were working for Rome and considered traitors to the Jewish nation. In ancient times, they were considered to be worse than Gentiles because, again, it seemed like they were betraying their people, the Jewish people, by, have, by working with the Roman Empire. Uh, similarly, in Matthew 21, when it refers to sinners, it gives a little more detail about what kind of sin is being referred to here. In Matthew 21, it's specified to be prostitutes. Tax collectors and prostitutes are the, the outcasts of society that Jesus was hanging out with. And this is why it was a problem. This is why verse 2 happens. Look at verse 2 with me. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. They murmured. They were passing a bad word amongst the crowd. What was this bad word that they were saying? They were saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. This man who is supposed to be the Messiah, this man who's supposed to be the anointed one of God, the holy one of God, he's hanging out with sinners. Why? The one who's supposed to represent God. Why is he hanging out with sinners? And it's in that context that Jesus tells these parables. And it's to answer that why question. Why is it that he is receiving these sinners, as our passage says? Jesus answers, them, Jesus answers this by revealing his heart towards reaching the lost. The heart of God towards the lost. 
and at the same time challenging the Pharisees in our passage, and of course us, to have a similar heart towards those that they deemed sinners or they deemed unworthy or outcasts. And again, our hope this morning is to really learn from Christ and His heart, His example, that we might have a similar heart, to have a heart like Christ as we see the lost around us, as we see those who, uh, who have yet to put their faith in Christ around us. And, and we'll get straight into it. What can we learn about Christ's heart from our passage? First and foremost, Christ desires all to be received. Christ desires all to be received. What the world, namely the Pharisees in this context, rejected, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, we see that Christ receives them. The parables are all about that, by the way, that one sheep that could have been written off as a loss, the shepherd goes out just to, to seek, to, to find the sheep. That one silver coin that could have been forgotten, the lady goes out of her way to sweep the floors, to sweep her house just to find that one coin. The prodigal son who squandered his wealth, who, who anyone else in that time would say good riddance to, we see how the father receives with open arms. Jesus tells these parables to indicate their value. The, the, these sinners, these so-called lost people, their value in the kingdom, that they too were to be received, that they too were to be sought after and pursued by God. But not only the value of the loss, but also the value of these Pharisees. See, the Pharisees didn't realize it, but they needed Jesus too. The fact that Jesus even took the time to elaborate, to tell these parables, to communicate his, son, to communicate his heart, rather, and even to include that last portion of the, the chapter about the, the older son is to show Christ's desire for the Pharisees themselves to turn to him as well, to be received by him as well. Look how Jesus portrays the Pharisees in our parables. It's interesting, he says, uh, because he puts them all at the same level. The Pharisees and the prostitutes, the, 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 the sinner and the saint, all at the same level. The value of the lost sheep was no different than the ninety-nine. The value of the lost silver coin was no different than the nine other coin. The prodigal son, the value of the prodigal son was no different than the son who stayed on the farm. In fact, Jesus even says in verse 7, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in, in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, this is a very specific word that Jesus is using because he's using this, these words to call out the Pharisees. This 99 righteous persons isn't talking about believers, by the way. These 99 righteous persons is talking about the Pharisees who considered themselves righteous before the eyes of God because they followed the Torah, because they followed the law. They considered themselves to be righteous, more righteous, in fact, than the sinners. They didn't need to repent. The Bible is very clear that none is righteous, no, not one. That we all fall short of the glory of God. The Pharisees failed to see that they too needed Christ. It's why in these parables, Jesus puts them at the same level as these sinners. The same level. Now, again, the moral of the parables, the moral of the sto these stories is the length in which, which the owner of the, the sheep, the owner of the coin, even the father will go just to 
find that which was lost. To, to his desire that all would be received, his, his desire that not just the prodigal son would come home, but that the, the son that stayed on the farm would also be uh, received and rejoice as well. As we always say, the ground is leveled at the foot of the cross. It doesn't matter if you're a sinner or a saint, a prostitute or a Pharisee. The message of this story is that God receives all. All kinds of people. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 to 4 says this. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful life and a quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all People to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. All kinds of people, from kings and, and, and those who are in high positions, not just those who are homeless and those who are broken, those who are suffering, but all people. The call is to pray for the salvation of all kinds of people. Now, where this applies to us, to be in our desire to be more like Christ in this journey, in this spiritual journey, is that we must not pick and choose who we extend the gospel to. We must not pick and choose who we extend the gospel to. Listen, your boss at work needs the gospel. There's no amen to that. I'm glad you all have good relationships with your bosses. Your, your boss needs the, the gospel too, that just as much as that homeless person at the, at the end of the highway. The, the broken father needs to hear the gospel just as much as a, as a soccer mom who, who has it all together, so to speak. The student or the elderly neighbor, everyone needs to hear the gospel. The gospel must be universal, universally preached to be heard by all. See, churches, as we mentioned earlier, can get into the trouble of targeting specific demographics. Like I said, they, they set up services just to, 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 to target maybe the loss or just maybe the young people or maybe a certain ethnic group or however way it looks like. But again, we must not pick and choose who we can share the gospel to. The gospel is for all. All must be received from the outcasts of society to, to even the politicians, those who have privilege in this life. And of course, individually, that's corporately, individually, we must not fall under the sin of partiality. On only sharing the gospel to those we deem worthy, to those who, who, who are like us, who are interested in the same things as us. You know, it, I was... I was telling this to my life groups the other day, but I just recently found out that all the elders of Plus Life likes Korean dramas. It's sovereignty of God, right there. You bring us all together. But even though you don't like Korean dramas, it doesn't mean that you're not welcomed here at the church. It doesn't mean that we, you are not received here at the church. We want to be like Christ, and if we want to be like Christ, that means we must receive everyone like Christ. We must desire to reach everyone with the gospel of Jesus Christ, to receive anyone who comes through those doors. Secondly, 
what we can learn about Christ's heart from our passage for the, for the lost is that Christ desires sinners to repent. Christ desires sinners to repent. The common misconception here is that Jesus, or the common misconception that we hear about Christ, and especially in mainstream sort of Christianity or in pop culture, is that Jesus doesn't judge. That Jesus doesn't, you know, call out sin like so many of these churches. And, but the reality is, Jesus doesn't shy away from the fact that he just called these people he's hanging out with sinners. And what's interesting, what's, what's great, is that he doesn't sugarcoat it, but nonetheless, as our passage begins with, these sinners, these tax, collect, tax collectors and sinners, are still drawn to him. Despite Jesus calling them out on their sin, calling, to, calling them to repent of their sin, they're still drawn to Christ. Why is that? Because part of the call to repentance is the hope of forgiveness is the promise of acceptance. That's why the, these, these outcasts of society were drawn to Jesus because everywhere else they turned to, they were rejected. The Pharisees rejected them. They were hated by their own people. These tax collectors were hated by their own people just because they had an accounting job. Yet here was Jesus receiving them, accepting them, Still calling them to repent. Jesus was not, was not enabling them to continue in their sinful lifestyle. One of, the great, one of the great passages that is always misquoted is that woman who was caught in adultery. The woman who was caught in adultery and brought before Jesus. And, and, and everyone points to that, that, that passage to say, see, Jesus didn't throw the first stone. But at the end of that passage, he still told the woman to go and sin no more. He didn't. Enable the woman to keep continuing the sin. She, he didn't turn a blind eye to the sin. He still called them to repent. Because part of the call of repentance is that there is hope for forgiveness. There is still a promise of acceptance. And that's what these parables, these three parables even illustrate. The lost sheep will be found. The lost coin will be found. The, the sinful prodigal son who squandered his, his inheritance in sinful, destructive lifestyles, he would return home and be accepted, welcomed home by his father. That's what repentance is, by the way. It's turning around from a sinful lifestyle, from a destructive lifestyle. It's, it's you're going one way, but you're going completely the opposite direction now. That's repentance. It's going towards a place of forgiveness and restoration and help and hope and eternal security only found in Jesus Christ. That's the invitation. That's the desire that, that Christ has for the lost. In this conversation with the Pharisees of why Jesus was hanging out with sinners, Jesus communicates God's desire, God's heart for the sinner. The utter, the utter joy of God's heart in God's heart for, for those who repent, for those who turn away from sin and turn to Him. In fact, we even see that in our passage. Look at verse 20 of our passage with me. This is after the son comes to his senses and he comes home trying to plead with his father. And it says in Luke chapter 15, verse 20, 
the father singing him far off. He says, and he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. That word compassion there is a great word all throughout the Gospels. It's splagizomai in the original Greek. And it doesn't mean to simply feel for an individual like sympatheo, the other Greek word for compassion. But it means to be moved to your innermost beings to act. To do something about that feeling that you have. This is God's heart for the lost. That he was so moved so moved over the, the state, the condition of this prodigal son that it causes this father to run to his son and embrace him, to welcome his son. Now you have to understand, this is, for those Pharisees who were, who were listening to this parable, this was outrageous. No sophisticated Jewish elder would ever run. Because running would mean that you'd have to lift up your, 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 your long gown thing and, and show your legs. Running would mean that you're the one going to your son. What's happening in this passage is that the father, instead of allowing his son to, to, to come into to the house and, and, and have all the, 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 the servants look at him with shame, the father instead runs. And he's the one who receives the shame. The shame now is upon the father who receives the son who he should not have received. And that is the heart of God in all of this, in all these stories. The shepherd who goes out of his way just to find that one sheep. He takes the brunt of the cost of if anything happened to the 99. The woman who, who goes out of her way to, to find the lost coin and then celebrates just for finding a coin. And this father who takes the shame of the son, just to welcome him home. That is the heart, that is the heart of God towards the loss. His desire to see sinners repent. And we see this elsewhere, of course, in Scripture, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Even in Isaiah chapter 1 in the Old Testament, after condemning Israel of their sinfulness and of their idolatry and, and, and wandering away from Him, this is the words of God. He says in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be made... They shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. This is the holy, holy, holy God speaking here. The God who has all the right, all the reason to punish sin and to destroy humanity for their sin, yet in long-suffering, in forbearance, in patient endurance, He stays His hand because He, he would rather... Humanity, repent. You know, we're, we're, we're believers in, the, in 2023 now. Maybe you're, you've been wondering, you know, why hasn't Christ returned yet after 2,000 odd years? Well, that's because we, as some theologians call it, live in an age of, of grace. God is giving time for the full number of the elect to come together before He returns. 
He's giving time for every sinner, as we just read in 2 Peter, to repent, to come to him, to find mercy and grace at his cross. He's giving time to sinners to come. And in application for us, if we want to be like Christ, we too should desire that sinners repent. Not just that you know, they, they love Jesus, not that they should just come to church or be part of our community. Not just that, but they would, that they would repent, that they would turn from their sin and find forgiveness in the Savior. Find hope, redemption in the Savior. You know, oftentimes we, we believers, especially in sort of our church tradition, we, we like to talk about the doctrine of election. And we often come to the conclusion wrongly, really, if God is going to save anyway, what's the point of evangelism, of outreach, of sharing the gospel? Again, all, all because I think we might sometimes have a skewed understanding of the doctrine of election, but as much as we talk about that doctrine, how come we never talk about the doctrine of the reprobate? Particularly how God sorrowfully sends sinners to hell. Particularly how God in His sovereignty and in His just nature has to send people to hell, but He does so sorrowfully, with much sadness. It's why we even see examples of this in Luke chapter 19 after the triumphal entry when Jesus comes victoriously riding in a donkey into Jerusalem. He stops overlooking the city. In verse 41, Luke 19, he says, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. It broke the Savior's heart that his own people denied him. It broke the Savior's heart knowing full well the wrath to come for those who would reject him. We see, we see this paralleled in the heart of the Apostle Paul when he's talking about, again, his own people, the Jewish people in Romans 9, where he says, great sorrow and unceasing anguish is in my heart because his own people have rejected Christ. See, this is why Christ desires people to repent. Because he knows that if they do not, they will experience only wrath from him. Because as we read in the book of Revelations, it is Jesus himself, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, who will send people into eternal punishment. So Jesus knows. This is why Jesus desires for the lost to return to come to Him, to find forgiveness, to find peace. And listen, if you are a believer in Christ this morning, you ought to have the same desire. If you have had your own sins forgiven, experienced the goodness, tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you ought to have the same desire. If you've ever prayed for, for God to break your heart for what breaks His, your heart should be breaking for the lost. 
If only, if only they saw the goodness of God. If only they repented and turned to Him, they would experience forgiveness and hope for not just this life, but for the next life to come. If only they, they repented and turned to Christ, they would know, they would know that they would be received and accepted by the Savior. That'd be, that ought to be the heart cry of every believer who, have, who has experienced the forgiveness of Christ. Lastly, what we can learn from our passage about Christ's heart for the lost is that Christ desires for believers to rejoice. Christ desires for believers to rejoice. The invitation, this invitation to rejoice over the, the loss being found, the loss being saved, the, the repentance of the sinner is found all throughout these parables. In verse 6 of our, of our passage, it says, and when he comes home, talking about the shepherd, he calls together his friends, his neighbors. There's an invitation there saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. In verse 9, talking about the woman who found the coin, it says when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. And of course, this, this older son in the parable of the prodigal son, who by the way was just as bad as a prodigal son, it says in our passage, verse 25, now the, his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. The party was already starting. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to, the, to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go, and his father came out and entreated him. The father is now coming to him. This son who should have gone to the father instead is now making the father come to him all because he was throwing a tantrum. Verse 29, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command and you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when his, this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fat calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. Listen to this. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. It was fitting. In the original Greek, it was necessary to celebrate this. This is the only appropriate response in your brother coming back home and your brother coming back to life, in a sense. Remember why Jesus was telling these parables. It was in response to these Pharisees who were grumbling at the sight of, of, of Jesus hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. They didn't see the point. They, like this older brother in this passage that we just read, was, was, was jealous that the, that, that the Father, or in this case the Savior, was spending time hanging out with these sinners. Yet Christ was inviting these Pharisees, He's inviting even us, to rejoice at the reality that these tax collectors, these sinners, 
those who were lost, was turning from sin, was repenting and coming to Him for salvation. The reality is we really are like these, these Pharisees if we don't see the point. If we are more than reluctant to go and share the gospel to the lost. If we don't have the desire for sinners to repent. If we don't feel the joy that, that Christ feels when we see sinners repent. In fact, it says a lot about our own salvation, really. Perhaps because, perhaps the reason why we don't rejoice or we don't long after these things is because we have forgotten the depths of our own sin. The mire of our own transgressions that God has pulled us out from. Perhaps we have forgotten what it was like to be brought out of a place of darkness into God's marvelous light. But perhaps we have not actually repented of our own sin and tasted the goodness of God. Again, someone who has experienced true forgiveness, freedom from sin, will desire others to taste and see that the Lord is good. Will desire for others to, to experience the forgiveness of God. It's as, as we read earlier in Psalm 51, like David who who had been caught in sin, who had been called out of his sin, and everybody knew about it. And he declares in Psalm 51, verse 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold with me, in me a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. The only appropriate response that believers ought to have, should have, when it comes to the lost repenting, is to celebrate, to rejoice like Christ, to join with all of heaven in celebration over the sinner who repents and turns to the Savior. You know, Sometimes, sometimes we forget the joy of sharing the gospel if we have not shared the gospel in a while. Or even haven't, have, haven't been used by God as an instrument in leading someone to Him. Now the reason why I am here this morning preaching to you and, and why I followed through with ministry as a pastor is because shortly after I was saved at a church camp so many years ago now. Is after that, I connected with a friend and shared the gospel to her. Of course, I was only 13 years old. I'm pretty sure I didn't say everything right. Pretty sure I didn't communicate everything that you know, I would have communicated today. But her response to the gospel her response to the gospel and, and the life change that took place in her as a result of encountering Christ. I said from that day, from that day on, God, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. I want to be used by you as an instrument of your peace, that your gospel would be declared 
to those who are hopeless and broken, to those who are abused, to those who, who think that they are so righteous and that don't even need you, even to them. All of that to say, listen, if you have never shared the gospel and you have never been used by God as, as a mouthpiece, as an instrument in which he uses to, to draw the lost sheep home, to draw the prodigal son home, I urge you, open yourself up to being used by God today. That is our call as believers. The, the gospel doesn't just come and save us. The gospel is meant to come from us and to the world, to be the hands and feet of Christ, to be his mouthpiece here in this world, to declare the goodness of God, his excellencies to a lost and broken world. We want to be like Christ, then we need to desire that all is received regardless of their background, regardless of their gender, their occupation, all is to be received. The gospel is universally preached. In the same way, if we want to be like Christ, we must desire that sinners repent. It's not just about that, that they come to church or that they, they love Jesus or read the Bible, whatever it is, but that they truly repent and turn to Christ in faith for the forgiveness of their sins. And if we want to be like Christ, we must rejoice like Christ. At the thought of the lost being found, the sinner being forgiven, being justified in the eyes of God. If we want to be like Christ, we must celebrate with all of heaven when sinners come home. The invitation this morning for those who have yet to put their faith in Jesus, as their Savior and Lord. Listen, you are here this morning for a purpose, for a reason. You are listening to the sermon for a purpose and a reason. And that purpose and reason is because a good shepherd is pursuing you. Because a good shepherd is seeking you. And desires for you to be found, to be forgiven, to be freed from not just the, the, the punishment of sin, from the slavery of sin. A good shepherd is seeking you. I invite you, if you have yet to put your faith in Christ and His finished work, that you would respond today and put your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and in the grave. And for those who are believers already, who have been saved, who, are, who have reconciled their sins at the cross of Jesus Christ, I invite you to remember that you too were once dead. I invite you to remember the joy of your salvation, the place in which God has saved you from. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 5, this great passage of the faith, tells us, us believers, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, 
the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That is a great hope that we have as believers. That is a great joy of salvation that we must recall, must motivate us, must motivate our our feet for the gospel. Just as we have been brought from dead to life, that we too would desire to see others who were once lost to be found, who are dead to be raised to new life as God. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God and Heavenly Father, oh, that we might have your heart for the lost. God, there are so many things that our hearts wander to in this life. So many things that our hearts desire that are not even pleasing to you. So many things that we pursue in this life that are oftentimes just for ourselves and our own satisfaction. Oh God, forgive us for the times where our hearts do not reflect your own. That as disciples of Christ, we don't reflect the heart of our great rabbi, Jesus. And I pray, oh God, even the prayer of David for all of us, that you'd create in us a new heart. Put a right spirit within us. That we might desire after the things that you desire. More specifically, to desire after the people that you desire. That, God, our hearts might break for the things that break your heart. Specifically, the lost, the sinner, who is condemned to wrath. Oh, Lord, I pray that we would not fall into the sin of partiality, only pursuing those that we deem worthy of the gospel or that are like us in any way, but that, God, we would reach out to all people. And that, God, there would be a desire in us to see sinners repent, to see sinners turn from a lifestyle of destruction, of deception, and turn to to you, our great hope, our living hope, for forgiveness and peace and, and a promise of eternity. Pray, oh God, that as a church body, as members of this local expression of your church, that we would celebrate and come to rejoicing at the salvation of the lost in the midst of us. And God, you would give us the privilege, the opportunity to be your instruments of peace to those that you bring to our doors, 
to those in our communities, in our immediate circles, in our schools, in our workplaces. That God, we might see salvation break out in our homes, in, in our schools, in our workplaces, even in our church, oh God. That the fruit of salvation would be seen and that your people might celebrate with all of heaven. Give us this burden, oh God. Give us this desire to make disciples of yours. Help us to be like you, oh Lord. Have mercy on us. Let your grace be sufficient for us. God be glorified. In Jesus, we might Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you are blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.